Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. This is Richard Gunther with the Digital Media Zone. For a while now, Adam and I have been talking about how we have and recommend smart doorbells for our listeners. But we've never really taken a close look at that space specifically. And it's one of the smart home industry's great success stories. To help us tackle this topic, we've invited Dan Seifert back from The Verge. He's recently reviewed some of the newest products available, and that's where we start. And one thing that we come to realize pretty quickly is that what doorbell you choose may largely depend on what smart home ecosystem, and particularly what smart home assistant you use around your home. As always, Dan's a great guest, and we had a lot of fun recording this discussion. We think you'll enjoy it. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. Hello, Richard. Hello, hello. And additionally, we are joined by special guest and returning guest, Dan Seifert, who's a deputy editor at The Verge. Welcome back, Dan. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Good to have you. So uh, Dan's recently been reviewing and writing a lot about video doorbells. So we wanted to bring him on to talk a little bit about that category and that space. But before we do that, uh, Richard has a question for us to open the show. Yeah. So I am actually back down in the Outer Banks and working from here while I'm trying to close on a real estate transaction in the area. And while I'm here, it got me thinking, you know, a lot of people are down here vacationing, spring break, and I see people going back and forth to the beach. And I was wondering, Adam, are you a beach person or a pool person? It's a good question. Uh, why not both? Um, I was recently <laughs> on vacation with my family. Uh, my parents have a place near Tampa on the, on the Gulf side and, um, it's on the beach. But we probably, I like the beach for walking, pool for swimming. Mm, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Dan? Yeah. Uh, I would have to say a similar answer. I feel like there's pros and cons to both. But if I'm at the beach, I'm probably just either like sitting there <laughs> or walking, you know. But if there's good waves, there's good waves, right? And they're fun to play. How about you, Richard? I am 100% a pool person. I like walking on a beach, but you know, the, the only reasonable thing Anakin Skywalker said the entire time he was on screen is that he hated sand. It just gets everywhere. And <laughs> that's how I feel about the beach. I hate sand. I can't stand. When I was a kid, I used to bury myself in it. Now I just absolutely cannot stand it. So I'm a pool person. I think there's something to be said for that. <laughs> All right. Well, if, if you want to submit a question for us to open the show, uh, you can send it to us at the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. 
All right. So I mentioned in the opening of the show that we were going to talk a little bit about doorbells today. Uh, I guess a little bit of background. Doorbells, you know, I think as a category have really taken off as one of those core smart home devices. To me, it's it's one of those use cases that people just get and it makes a lot of sense. And there's some pretty good devices in the market. So I would say this discussion is probably going to be pretty focused on the higher end of the market and uh, with the three devices that we're going to talk about today. Any other background comments, gentlemen? Yeah, I mean, well, I agree. I think uh, video doorbells have been around for a long time and, and they are kind of like the... I think they are a gateway for a lot of people into the smart home ecosystem and world. It's often like the first home security camera that they get or one of the first devices they get when they're looking at smart home things. And like you mentioned, there's a very easy to explain use case for, for why a video doorbell can, you know, make your life easier or be useful to you in a smart home. But to your point, and, and I'm sure as we'll discuss, there's been more movement in the past, I don't know, six to 12 months in the doorbell space than we've seen uh, for a couple of years. So it's kind of a lot of interesting things happening. Well, I think one trend I've seen in the market, given that many of us stayed home way more in, in the last year, was just people realizing the value in investing in their home. So I think that's one reason why more people are buying things in the smart home space, just in general. And I think doorbells specifically, you know, had a nice use case. Like I know for us, you know, we used to ship way more packages to my office. And then once I wasn't in the office as much, you know, everything came home. So having that, you know, notification or knowing, oh, yeah, it was just the UPS guy or whatever, but I should probably go grab that box um, has been super useful uh, during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. So the, the first device we're going to talk about, uh, I think is the newest, which was, uh, Ring's new entry, the Ring Video Doorbell Pro 2. Good, good creative name there, Ring. Uh, <laughs> oh, they're, they're terrible with their names. They, their names are always descriptive and numeric. I thought this was the worst name they had until they announced the product this week for the Floodlight Cam Wired Pro. Uh, and, and, and that one is worse than this one, but this one's still pretty bad. I just call it the Pro 2. Yeah. So I, I had the Pro 1. That's what's currently on my door. Dan, what did what did you think? What did you like about this? I guess if you start it like visually and look at it, the Pro 2 really doesn't look a whole lot different than the Pro 1. They kind of have the exact same design, exact same materials. If you were to swap one on your door, nobody would really notice that you got a new doorbell, which is fine. It doesn't really need <laughs> oh, to redesign man. the wheel every time. Yeah. Unless you want your UPS delivery uh, people to, to know that you got a fancy new doorbell. Yeah. Before you get too far from that, though, like, is it exactly the same form factor? In other words, could you use the ring doorbell pro plates on them do they do you know if they fit that's an excellent question and i don't know off the top of my head like that's one of the things i love what i can tell you is that it does come with the angled mount or straight mount so those come in the box so if you want to use those you're set if you're buying a pro 2 uh and then the other thing i can tell you uh having mounted a whole bunch of doorbells on my door <laughs> is <laughs> i can reuse the holes quite often so i think if you've got holes drilled in it, this would be a pretty easy swap for you uh if you've already got a pro uh and you want to upgrade but to answer your question about like what is good about this particular device the things that kind of stood out to me were twofold 
One is the new aspect ratio. And I think this is the biggest difference between this and basically every other Ring doorbell that's uh, been available prior to this. Ring has always had that 16 by 9 cinematic widescreen field of view, which gives you a very wide view, but not a very tall one. And so this time, Ring has finally shifted to a square field of view, which is as tall as it is wide. And the advantage of that, of course, is now you can see a head-to-toe view of visitors. You can see if a package was left on the porch very easily. Uh, and, and it's really completely changed the experience for me in that I can now easily see if something was left on my porch or not uh, without having to go to the door to check. Did you, I guess my question about that is like, did you install it at an angle in order to get to that? Or is the view that good that even at like flat mounted, it would be able to see to the ground? The way that my door, and this is like, as you guys know, and everyone and everyone listening probably knows, smart home is a your mileage may vary type of thing. And your your doorway is different than my doorway, of course. Uh, but the where on my doorway, the the doorbell is mounted on the right side if you're facing the door coming into the house. So it's on the right. And that's kind of like tucked in the corner of my porch. And so in order to see the rest of the porch, I use the horizontal angle one, which I believe adds 20 degrees of horizontal tilt. And that allows me to see basically the entire width of our small porch. But it is still entirely 90 degrees up and down. And the tall view uh, was al- allowed me to see the floor of my porch very easily, any uh, type of uh, visitors head to toe very easily. Uh, and it's really like, of the ones that I've tested so far, this kind of like square view that the ring provides has been the most comprehensive and the one that I can see the most of my porch with. We'll talk about some other models that have done that tall view before. Ring is certainly not the first to do it. But then with that tall view, you lose some of the the wide uh, view. So you don't maybe get as wide of a field of view. Uh, The ring does a really nice balance of both. At least the Pro 2 does. Interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this is something like that they apply everywhere else going forward, at least for the kind of doorbell space. Yeah, you think they would. It just makes sense. It's like, you know, the the 16 by 9 aspect ratio is like what a lot of laptops are. It's obviously what your TV is. So if you're watching the video feed on your TV, it fills out the TV. And it's like what a lot of movies and TV shows are. But realistically, like you're not watching hours of footage from your doorbell. You're watching clips of a minute or less. And so you really care more about being able to see everything that you can. And I think uh, this aspect ratio is much more useful. What's strange is I mentioned that uh, earlier that Ring announced a new floodlight camera. They also announced a video doorbell for this week that doesn't have the square <laughs> field of view. It is back to the 16 by 9. So I don't know. Maybe they'll take time to trickle it at, down across the lineup, or maybe it'll something that they you know keep for their high end. This is their most expensive model. So uh, I don't know, but I really like it. That was that was by far the thing I liked the best about the Ring Pro 2. And then the second thing was uh, performance was really good. One of the things with video doorbells over the years is that they can be kind of slow. When you get a push notification on your phone, you tap the phone and it opens the app and then the app's got to load the feed and, and you know, your visitor is already down to the next house. With the Pro 2, I'm using it with my Eero mesh system. It's connecting at 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi. I'm able to pull up the feed generally within one to two seconds on my phone. It works really well uh, with smart devices like the Echo Shows, pulls up the feed on those within a couple of seconds as well. So noticeably faster improvement than the prior uh, Ring doorbells that I've tested, which include like the Doorbell 3 and the Doorbell 2 and things like that. 
I mean, in all fairness, I feel like they've already gone through that pain, right? Like Ring as one of the early pioneers in the general consumer space for this type of device certainly had all of those pains in early models. And, you know, we all experienced that significant lag before you got to see something. And we've seen their products get better release after release after release with that. Yeah, I remember a small window there where I even had a second app to be able to answer faster. (laughs) Clearly, they were testing some things. But yeah, that's good to hear that that's something that's sort of fixed because, and I would think that five gigahertz Wi-Fi probably has a lot to do with that. And talk about a device that very much benefits from why you would want five gigahertz. I know we've had an oft debated customer in the shades and blind space that keeps begging for five gigahertz. And I was like, you don't need five gigahertz. Like that, that doesn't help you. But when you're transmitting video, like that this is the use case for for five gigahertz. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you get into like real time video, where if you're if you're going to use the features of the two way communication and things like that, uh, five gigahertz totally makes sense for this. Provided that you have you know a strong signal near your door, near enough to your door. You know, in my house, the front door opens up into our living room, and in our living room is where the main Eero Pro is. The, that's where my uh, gateway is. So, like, I got pretty good coverage right next to the door. So, it's, it works really well for me. If you are trying to get a connection many rooms away, uh, you might have to upgrade your internet or Wi-Fi system in your home to make it work well. Yeah, makes sense. What about some downsides? What what uh, what were you not crazy about in this one? You know, it's. I mentioned it's the most expensive one, so it's two hundred and fifty bucks. Uh, it's a lot of money at this point for a video doorbell pro uh, or a video doorbell period. You know, there's a lot of competitors that are half that price now. Ring has com- uh, options that are a lot less expensive. The other models we're going to talk about today are even less expensive than that. So it's expensive, and then it still looks like a Ring doorbell. Like I would have liked for that premium price to have. Maybe a nicer appearance to it. Uh, Adam, you and I were talking uh, before the show that like there's probably a reason that they're using the plastic materials that they are. Wi-Fi performance is is probably a big reason for that uh, because they're not going to block any of the signals. But they just look really plasticky, and like that painted silver plastic is just kind of blah. And so like I would have liked a little bit more premium uh, fit and finish if you're going to be paying this much money for a doorbell at this point. That's that's kind of like my big complaint, which is not a huge complaint. It's, it's functionally they work very well. It's it's mostly aesthetics that I'm I'm, I'm whining about there. And then you know, Ring always has plenty of baggage, <laughs> so some people might not be comfortable with a Ring uh, Ring systems with its partnerships and things like that, which is certainly very valid reasons not to want that. It doesn't really bother me. You can turn it off in the app. You can opt out of a lot of these things. I think it would be prudent of Ring to make those partnerships and the neighbors apps and things like that, that it's received a lot of criticism for more opt-in type of services, as opposed to forcing me to say, I don't want to do this and turn it off uh, myself. Yeah. I think that's a good idea, especially because we know that your normal consumer or older adult who's getting one of these put in or, or putting it in themselves, they're not going into the settings and, you know, doing these things that's on by default. So I agree that that would be a much better way to go and there's so many settings there are just so many settings and they're yes. all over the place in the ring app that's the other thing that ring i think is a downside with ring is that app is just becoming an albatross with yes 
how complicated it is and how stuff is spread all over the place. The thing that I found interesting is that with this product, and we're talking about this, you know, the surveillance concerns and all that sort of thing. And yet they just keep on turning up the creep factor. You talked about this new feature where it can kind of map someone's movements on your property from the perspective of a satellite view down on your home. Cause that's not creepy at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, sometimes I wonder how self-aware rig is, uh, but you know, it's, it, it's like, so that's like, there's, there's a couple of weird features with this. Uh, and then you can, you can fortunately choose to use them or not. Right. Um, one of them is that top down, what they call bird's eye view. It's powered by this ra- new radar sensor that gives it like kind of a farther reach. If we go back to what I said was like the best thing about this camera is it's wide field of view. The downside of that is that everything through that wide field of view kind of looks smaller unless it's right in front of the camera. You, even though like if you are have an un- unobstructed field, uh, view the camera there's nothing like trees or blocking or whatever things only 10 feet away look really small on that feed so it's hard to see details uh, even you know not that far away so i think ring is trying to address some of that with this new radar powered bird's eye view that you mentioned where it can detect up to 30 feet away someone's movement on your property and then it kind of tell gives you these like colored almost look like hot spot dots that come across the satellite view map as the video clip plays. So you can see where they traveled on your property, which is, you know, a little strange. I guess if you're very concerned about your neighbor coming over and putting garbage in your garbage bin versus their garbage bin, it's, it could be useful (laughs) for me. Even with that 30 feet, it only reaches like, I don't know, a third down my driveway from my front door. So like it's, it's, it's mostly just, I'm seeing clips of the delivery driver come up, get out of their truck, walk up to my door, leave the package, and then walk back. So so it's not super useful to me. And then the other thing that is strange is this Alexa answer feature, which is new, uh, and I think it's supported on the Ring Pro as well, and maybe a couple other prior Ring doorbells, but basically a new thing that they've rolled out in the past couple of months. And, and basically you have Alexa answer the door for you, which is a little strange to me. <laughs> Yeah, I have not enabled that. I, I think, I mean, I think it's a really cool feature. I think that what it can do is kind of amazing, but I would imagine that it would be off-putting to visitors. That's, that's basically my impression of it. It's like I enabled it to test it, of course, and to see how it worked. And then when I was done testing, I turned it off. You know, it's basically like someone rings your doorbell and then it's like, surprise robot. (laughs) (laughs) This is like kind of how that works. Uh, and so they have a conversation with it, just like you might have a conversation with an echo speaker. There's Mm -hmm. the typical, you know, second or two delay for Alexa to process and respond, uh, and give an answer and you can give it some guidance as to how it want you want to tell visitors what to do. So like uh, if someone's leaving a package, you can say like, leave a package in the corner or leave a package in front of the garage. And Alexa will speak that aloud in Alexa's voice. But I don't know. This is going to be something that is like, maybe it's just new. So it's weird, but it uh, it's going to take some getting used to for sure. Like I, I could see the use case for this, but yeah, we, we kind of need like a cultural expectation of this yeah. first and it to become a little more normal to be on the bleeding edge of this is, I think, going to be to have a lot of really weird interactions at your doorbell by various people. I just know that like if it was me walking up to a home and I'm ringing a doorbell for whatever reason, maybe I need to talk to the homeowner. Maybe I 
giving them a package or something. If a robot starts talking back to me, I'm walking away. It's like really, really where my mindset is at. Moving on. Next one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, uh, I guess I'll give them credit for trying and for kind of pushing to see what else we can do here and, and what else we can, how else we can innovate on the, in this space. Yeah. But yeah, there, I think there's some catching up we need to do. So I could definitely see this being a great accessibility tool. If it's hard for someone to come to the door, uh, the doorbell can let the person know, like, you know, without having uh, the the homeowner to have to like open the app and say, hey, I'm on my way. The doorbell can preempt that and and, and, and be a little bit quicker response. So there's there some use cases that I could see in certain scenarios. Uh, one of my colleagues who's like, I don't live in the suburbs. This would be great because it can just tell people to bring packages around to the side house. And, and so, or the side door, excuse me. So, uh, you know, the, there, there, there are use cases. It didn't work out for me in my scenario. And I don't think I would use it in my particular situation, but you know, maybe with some, some tweaking of the features and some massaging of how it works, it could be a useful thing for some people. I do think it's incredibly cool technology. Like nothing else, the way they've implemented and, and the way it can respond based on what you've said. I mean, frankly, it's better at doing that than it is at answering basic questions that you ask your own echo device. (laughs) Yeah. Constant exercise in futility. <laughs> the, the one, well, the question I guess is: Is the doorbell going to follow up with an ad for something that's on sale on Amazon right now? By the way, if you'd like to know, the the one that gets me. This is totally off topic, but somewhat related. On our Echo Show in the kitchen, all the time. I mean, this probably happens to me multiple times a week. I love the little stories and videos it has, and they're super interesting and well done, and I engage with it all the time. But uh, how these work, if you're not familiar with it, there will be like a, a news clip or something like that, and it will give you the phrase you need to say to trigger that clip. And so you can either tap it if it's a video and it'll play, or you can say this phrase. So literally from a computer programming standpoint, there's like a, there should be a bias to what is on the screen. And I will say the words that are on the screen and it will, you know, barf up something else. And I'm like, oh, this should not be this hard. Come on. That's always been a problem with the technology for that assistant that it, it doesn't prefer the words it knows and it it absolutely should like it should be prioritizing resolving to the words in the phrases it's expecting yeah not things other than that like it just it makes no sense to me here amazon i'll fix this one for you if there's a 50% likelihood match to what is on the screen of my echo show just show me that let's just do that <laughs> Very little, I, 25% even. If it sounds anything like the f- words that are on the screen right now, just go right into that clip. Two things I want to kind of call out about this, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk more generically, but you're going to see a theme here. Obviously, these devices from Ring, a product now owned by Amazon, are optimized to work in Amazon's ecosystem with Amazon's assistant. Doesn't work as well. If you have a Nest Home device, because, well, they're really not trying, 
right? They've, they've <laughs> integrated some capabilities, but despite all of the talk from some of the original founders and executives like Jamie and Mike and such, they're really just not trying to integrate it as much with these other ecosystems, particularly the assistants. So you can use it though, if you have an Android phone or an iOS phone, they have apps on those. So you're not restricted to your ecosystem, but it is really limiting in terms of what assistant you can use with it effectively, I think. Yeah. And and, and, and that, that translates to like what smart speakers and smart displays will function with it. It's not just like, you know, voice commands that you're using. It, it, it right. really does have an impact on the, the rest of the fabric of the smart home ecosystem yeah. in your home. Yeah. I would also guess if you talk to Ring, they kind of view themselves as an ecosystem in and of themselves. And so it's, it's more about their ecosystem and then obviously their, you know, their owner's ecosystem. And we'll talk a little bit more later about whether or not that matters. Um, so the next thing, next product we we're going to talk about, which, uh, Dan, you've also reviewed recently was the Logitech Circle View. Dan, you called this the closest thing to a doorbell made by Apple. Say more about that. Yeah, I did. Um, so I think that's a twofold type of answer you're going to get. When you think of like an Apple product, generally you think of something that is rather simple, integrates really well with other Apple products. Um, if you buy an Apple Watch, it integrates really well with your iPhone or integrates well with Apple Fitness and, and other services. And it's it's easy to set up and it's straightforward. You also might think that it doesn't play nice with anyone else's products and that it kind of locks you into Apple's ecosystem. And I think though the circle view has got a Logitech branding on it and, and it's obviously made by Logitech, it is very much servicing both of those aspects of an Apple product experience hmm. to start with. It works with HomeKit, which very few other, there's actually one other doorbell on the market uh, by Natatmo uh, that works uh, with HomeKit, but very few doorbells natively work with HomeKit. Uh, and this one from the ground up is made, designed for HomeKit. You set it up with the Apple Home app. There's no Logitech app whatsoever. Um, so everything is done within the Apple Home app. So you add it to your home, you configure it, you name it, you control its settings, you update its firmware. Everything is done through the Apple Home app, which is kind of an interesting experience that you kind of expect from an Apple HomePod mini, but maybe not from a third-party product made by a different manufacturer. Yeah, but Logitech sucks at software. So maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> maybe that's a good thing. I'll get into maybe why it's not a good thing, but you know, like it, it's, it's, it's a very simple, straightforward user experience. If you own an Apple product, if you own an Apple smart home, you are going to be able to put this thing in and install it and get it all set up and everything's going to be familiar to you. And that kind of speaks to that Apple-esque experience. The downside of that is, like I said, everything is done through Apple's app, uh, which means that there is no Logitech app. There's none for the iPhone. There's none for Android. So you can't use this doorbell if you have an Android phone, which is a mind boggling thing to me. Uh, you can't even get notifications that the doorbell has been rung. You can't view the feed. There's nothing you can do with an Android phone on this Apple doorbell. So if you're installing it in your home and you're in a family, everyone's got to be playing in the Apple ecosystem to make this work and make this functional. It doesn't work with other smart assistants. It doesn't work with other smart speakers. It will work with a HomePod mini and a HomePod, but not a you know echo or a nest device um and from from your review it sounded like even only sometimes too 
only sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, sometimes the, 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 the HomePod mini would trigger the, uh, when the doorbell was rung, it would make an announcement. Other times it wouldn't. I had to like reboot the HomePod mini to get it working again. So it's a very closed off type of ecosystem and, uh, it's very reliant on, Apple developing features for doorbells in the home app in order to support the circle view. Like Logitech can't come out with a new idea or a new feature and add it to the circle view unless Apple is supporting it in the home app. It's like they kind of have to, they're very dependent on what Apple puts in. And right now the home app is a little bare bones on, on the doorbell support. There's, there's, there's the features that you might expect. You can control when it, you know, will ring your phone or when uh, it will make an alert and you can adjust some really limited motion detection settings and things like that but you can't change what the doorbell sounds like. You can't really get into the nitty gritty weeds of, of the uh, sensors and things like that. Uh, and there's, there's, you know, some other limitations of just the nature of it being the home app. So there's pros and cons to both. I think it is a great looking doorbell. I think the video feed looked great. This does have a tall aspect ratio, like the Pro 2 that I mentioned earlier, but it, it kind of, you give up a bunch on the sides with this, so it doesn't have as wide of a field of view as the ring, because the ring has a square, and this is kind of like a upright portrait rectangle. This is like 16 by 9, but flipped? Yeah, I would say it's like more like 4-3. Okay. Or 3-4, I guess. So if you mm-hmm. took an old school TV and turned it on its side... Uh, yeah. that's kind of the view that you're, you're seeing here, which might work for you depending on your situation. For me, it actually, even with the little, uh, 20 degree, uh, slant mount that comes in the box, even when I had that installed, it wasn't wide enough to see the one spot where most packages get left on my porch. <laughs> so it's a little <laughs> bit of a, it's like, like, uh, I got this like one little blind spot that, that, that can't be covered by this. And, but, and then the other thing is that it, it does work very quickly. Uh, just like the Pro 2, the feed pulls up really quickly on an iPhone. It pulls up quickly on an iPad. Um, there's no smart display in Apple's HomeKit ecosystem. So I can't tell you how it would work there. Apple TV. Yes, there's Apple TV. If you've got an Apple TV and you're watching TV and the TV is on, uh, it will show who's at the doorbell there. So that is another integration. And it's another example of like where you are bought into the Apple. The more you're bought into the Apple ecosystem, the better your experience is going to get. But it doesn't like turn the TV on when someone rings the doorbell. Uh, you, you have to be watching it, which is kind of a pro and con. I could see, I could see that argument going both ways. And, and, and if you are using the, um, the two way audio, that works really well as well. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of like, Pros to this, if you are bought in entirely to the Apple ecosystem and you are never going to switch to another ecosystem or you're never going to be tempted to go anywhere else or you're never going to buy an Android phone, sure. Yeah. Logitech Circle View is is your doorbell. As somebody with a little bit of experience working with Apple and doing HomeKit development, I see both the appeal of this approach that they've taken as well as the downsides to kind of to what you said if they have some good ideas here and they want to make some innovations, that sort of depends on Apple's appetite to do that and put resources there and, and make improvements. And not only that, you have to wait for their cadence mm. to get updates. Right. So if that's something that you want to do, you know, you're waiting until the next. Uh, maybe that's improved a little bit lately and they're putting more of those kinds of things in point releases of iOS. But when I was doing the bulk of this, you're like, all right, next year, next version of iOS, you know, maybe we'll do this. Uh, and that's just really, really frustrating. And 
um, can be hard. And, and I'll say in this category in general, and the fact that there's so few of these, I think my take on it was whatever Apple requires for HomeKit just seems to be not very friendly to everything else everyone else needs wants to do in the in the doorbell space. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's a lot of like limitations with Apple's HomeKit platform once you get beyond the basics and and I'm, I'm sure you guys uh both discussed this a bunch. It's great for setting up lights and setting up uh thermostats and and very smart switches and and smart plugs and things like that. It's great for that. But like for instance, this supports HomeKit secure video, which is it's just Apple's uh encrypted uh, stored in iCloud uh, video backup feed, uh, which is great. If you have an iCloud subscription, you don't have to pay more for cloud storage on this. But the top tier iCloud subscription is uh, the two terabyte one, which will run you 10 bucks a month, only supports five cameras. One of them is going to be your doorbell. It does not take much to get four more. Like I, I don't live in a big house and I easily have four more uh, just you know on the corners of my house or elsewhere. Uh, and so like you were going to run into that wall pretty quickly. And Apple needs to be the one that changes that support. It's not something Logitech can address. From a consumer perspective, I have a theory on why Logitech has taken the approach that they have here. First of all, they have an opportunity to be an early product in hitting this specific need, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's been asking for HomeKit doorbells for literally years. The support mm-hmm. has been there for that specific combination of devices, the, the camera and the the whatever button or whatever the lock. it is. Uh, the, the lo- it, the, for those things combined to work together, that's been around for years in HomeKit, but nobody's really taken advantage of it. So... Here's a great opportunity for them to be not first to market, maybe, but one of the early to market and get in there. That said, Logitech has a habit, and I don't know if this is just, you know, budgetary or strategic from just some sort of, you know, this is, this is how we do things. We believe this is how it should be, but they don't write platform specific software. In fact, any app that you get for your PC or Mac or Android or iOS device is designed to work on the other platform, to look the same on the other platform, because they use cross-platform compatible development environments, so they write once and deploy to multiple places. They don't have, for example, drivers that integrate nicely with your control panel or your preferences in your operating system of choice. That's just not how they operate. So they probably looked at this and said, okay, well, if we're doing this for this specific HomeKit platform, we can't also do it for this other platform unless we end up writing platform-specific software. Yeah, maybe that's a, that's that's certainly a valid point, but they could have, I mean, there's, there's cross-platform mobile app development. They could have written, you know, one... Uh, to run on both iOS and Android. Like, there I think, there I think, is, like, but I doubt it would tie into the HomeKit features that they need for all of the video stuff. Sure. Like, that but would I have mean, to be custom. But, but, but what we've seen with HomeKit-supported products, whether it's a smart plug or a bulb or something like that, is is most manufacturers have their standalone app, and then they have uh, HomeKit support too, and they support all of the HomeKit native features mm-hmm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. And so if small companies like 
Vocalink and Miros and like all these like you know companies that seem to come up out of nowhere all the time. Adam, you you're you're a small manufacturer. You you understand this as well. Like you know if they're able to do it, Logitech's huge. <laughs> like they just, you know, scoop up some engineers and throw throw them at the at it. Like solve this problem because like I totally understand wanting to be that tight knit integrated ecosystem experience, and I think that there are people that are looking for that, but. Those people also might have to realize in a couple of years, like, hey, you know, maybe I want an Android phone. Maybe my kid wants an Android phone for whatever reason. Maybe my spouse does. And now our doorbell means that, no, we're we're buying iPhones. (laughs) And, like, we're buying HomePods instead of Echoes and and all this other stuff. So, like, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that, like, dictates so much further down the line. Like, there's a lot of knock on effects by what doorbell you're putting on your door. Right. Well, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more later too, but like a doorbell is not a light bulb, you know, it's not a simple, it, it's easy enough, but it's a, you're taking out a screwdriver. At least you're doing (laughs) wiring. Like there's yeah, all of these are wired. Yeah. That's a great point. None of these are battery operated. You are wiring this in. Yeah. So, you know, that there's some barriers to that. And so it's not something you want to switch out very often. Well, I do have to give them credit for one thing. They managed to maintain their brand name Circle by putting a circle on the product <laughs> so that you know where to press it, which is one step further than NetAdmo managed to pull off with their HomeKit <laughs> compatible doorbell. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't have experience with NetAdmo. I can never say their brand name. <laughs> Forgive right? me. <laughs> no, it's hard. The Tatmo. I get it we'll right go too. with that. The Tatmo. Uh, I, have, I don't have experience with that one. That one's actually uh, more expensive. That's that's it's like a three hundred dollar doorbell. Uh, I'm eager to try it out. It does look very cool, but you're right. It might be a little confusing where you actually push the button. <laughs> from from the day the I saw ring. the design of the prototype, I was telling their product people, "There's is just." Nobody's going to know where to press. They're going to press the camera. It's just that's the only circle there. <laughs> that's what they're going to press. But yeah. but Richard, it has a bell on it. That makes <laughs> yeah. sense, right? That's how we know what it to press. It lets you know that it's a doorbell, but I don't know. Yeah, no, there needs to be a circle there. The one thing I do like about the Natamo design is that there's no Natamo logo on the front of it. Yes. Whereas the ring says ring on it. The Logitech says yes. Logi, which looks like Loogie. The Nest says Nest on it. The Arlo says Arlo. Like, I don't need to be advertising what brand doorbell this is. I don't know. I'm looking at the picture on their website, and it definitely says Natamo under the, the camera. <laughs> so really? maybe they changed that. <laughs> oh, man. That'd be a bummer. <laughs> Get some like uh, gaffer's tape and cover it yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> you could definitely do that. All right. Well, the last one I wanted to talk about, by no means new, but I felt like really belongs in the discussion with these other two, was the Nest Hello. To me, that feels like, you know, one of the key premium doorbells in this space. And... It's uh it's actually been marked down. It's now 179. It used to be 229. And um when taking a fresh look at this, I actually saw some news that there's there was like a leaked image of something that looked like a different uh Nest Hello in uh Google Home 2.35. So um this one may be imminent that there's something coming as well. Mm-hmm. But to me, Hello stands out in what it does a little bit differently, which was both person detection and package detection. And as far as I'm aware, nothing else in the market really has nailed those two things. 
Yeah, I would say, you know, like you mentioned, the Hello has been out for a few years now. It brought a number of firsts, I think, to the the doorbell experience. You mentioned the the artificial intelligence so that it has uh, people detection. The Logitech does have some limited people detection. It's kind of strange. It works through your Apple Photos account and then identifies people that are you've tagged in Apple Photos and and, and syncs that. It's it's a little weird. Right. Um, so let's be clear. That's not person detection. That's identification. Right. That's face right. detection. That's face that's face detection that identifies and if it gets it right, the HomePod Mini will announce the person by name at the door, uh, yeah. which is cool. Um, Dan, Dan, do you have a picture of your UPS guy? In your, um, that's that's the that's the downside of of it. Is like it really is like I've got my family in my in my Apple you know photos library and they're so all tagged. The next time like they that. ring the doorbell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So not a huge, uh, super useful use case. But the Nest was one of the first with with people detection. You mentioned package detection. It was one of the first to do that. That's Neither slick. the Logitech nor the Ring do that. Yeah. Um, and there was a brand new models that just come out in the past year. So uh, those is ahead of the ball on that. It was ahead of the ball on the tall aspect ratio field of view that lets you see top to bottom really easily. So it was it was one of the first on the market, if not the first uh, to do that. So Really, a lot of like different unique ideas that improve the experience were coming from the Nestle. It's a couple years old now. Image quality on all of the others at this price point, I think, is better. The video quality is better. The, the HDR is better. All that fun uh, newer technology. So Google is certainly you know due to update this, and it seems like like you mentioned that it's going to happen soon. But you know, it still was a good doorbell at its time, and and kind of had a premium price for that. But just as we discussed with the Logitech and with the Ring. It's really, if you are in the Nest ecosystem or the Google Home ecosystem, it is the only doorbell that really takes advantage of that. And it doesn't play with HomeKit and it doesn't play with Amazon's ecosystems. <sighs> again, again, right? Same problem, different platform. I also don't really like the industrial design of this thing. I never really have the black and white. Like there's one thing about the the all black Logitech, but the black with the with a white trim around it makes it seem even more gadgety and this bulbous design that inevitably is going to trap dirt and pollen behind it in the crevices. I I just don't understand that whole thing. Yeah, it definitely has that more of a, like you said, gadgety, techy type of of look to it. And we've seen Yuffie or Arlo, one of those, basically make one that look exactly like it. So they're, right. They're, right. They're, they're they're obviously you know running with the ball on uh, on that kind of design language, which is you know definitely take it or leave it. I, the, I mentioned this with the ring. I think none of these look great. And if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, like they all kind of look like gadgets to me, and I think they could do a lot of work on the design side of things to integrate them better into your decor make it obvious that there's a doorbell there, obviously, uh, you know, so someone knows where to press, but not look like a, a gadget so much. Um, yeah. So I think they all could do better. I think in those, I think from that perspective, the two that do the best job are the traditional form factor for the ring, which I think is a, a better looking device because more of it is the finished frame. And again, you can buy those kits to change that finish to match your color scheme and design and decor and so forth. And I also feel like the, the newer August doorbell that ended up getting held back because of all the problems, but finally came to market. 
that's a pretty good looking device too. They originally planned color change kits for it, but then haven't followed up on that release. So I don't know if that's still planned or not, but those I think probably look most like stuff. I mean, if, if I have anything, I want it to match my hardware, maybe my door, but it should match my hardware. And I hate to break it to ring, but not all houses are being built with brushed nickel and Venetian bronze hardware anymore. Yeah, that's totally right. And I agree. I would want it to match my hardware or maybe I would want it to have a wood trim or something like that, that, you know, looks authentic and doesn't look yeah. like painted plastic. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be an interesting like design choice. Somebody, I mean, it's so hard to match wood, but like a, a wood casing doorbell and then you could just I paint, think that'd be rad. paint it. That'd be so rad. Right. Like I would want like a walnut casing. <laughs> I think I think that's like a really cool like I love the collision of organic materials and like technology and like that's a really cool place to put it. All right, let's hope no ma- other manufacturers listen to our show and steal that idea. <laughs> no, let's let's have someone do it. That's a great idea. What are you talking about? I'm saying maybe I'll do it. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, let's take a quick break for sponsors and then uh, return with some more smart home discussion. Everyone says that starting a podcast is easy, but let me tell you, making a podcast is hard work. That's where today's sponsor, Lightning Pod, comes in. If you have a podcast or you want to start one, then you should check them out. They can help you with every step of the podcast production process. We've been working with Lightning Pod founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year. And he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. Eric currently helps us with editing and copywriting, but he's also available to help your podcast with recording, monetization, website design, and more. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. All experience levels are welcome. So whether you're a veteran podcaster or a total newbie, you should check them out. That's lightningpod.fm. Let's talk a little bit about doorbells more generically, because one of the things that was painfully obvious, and we didn't hint at it, we came out and stated it, is that each of these products that we discussed seems to be very clearly tailored for a specific home assistant or home automation platform. One, like tailored toward one, maybe different phones in some cases, not always, but designed to work best with one ecosystem. And I guess the first question is, is this just the way the doorbell market has defined itself? Is this the way that companies think they need to approach this? Or is there a chance that we might actually get something that can work well across ecosystems? Uh, I would love that. (laughs) I think it's interesting that if we look at the field that we talked about earlier, two of them are made by the manufacturer of the platform. So when you look at the Google Nest Hello and the Ring Video Doorbell Pro 2, what a name. Uh, They're made by Amazon and Google. And so Mm -hmm. uh, it, it makes sense that they are going to support those ecosystems the best. And they're going to have access to features on those ecosystems that other manufacturers might not get as quickly or yep. as soon they they can go walk down the hall to the the other team and be like we're building a new doorbell and and, 
Amazon's assistant team is like, cool, we built this new thing. Let's talk. You're, you're not going to get that with a third-party manufacturer. They're going to have to wait until Amazon makes it accessible to them. And we've seen that with the doorbells that work with Amazon's platform but aren't made by Amazon. They don't support the uh, smart displays as nicely as Ring does. Um mm-hmm. You can ask the smart display to show the feed on the camera, but if someone rings the doorbell, it doesn't automatically bring up the feed on the smart display if you're using Arlo or Eufy or another one. Even though I believe the functionality might be there available to them, they either haven't developed it or haven't gotten it working in a reliable way. Whereas Ring's kind of got that nailed down. Uh, and the same goes with Nest. I don't know of any third-party non-Googled doorbells that will bring up the feed automatically when someone pushes the doorbell on a Nest Hub smart display. Only the uh, Nest Hello does that. So there's definitely some like synergies that they have being part of that company. Logitech's kind of the odd one out in that it's not part of Apple, but it built its thing to only work with Apple. So it you know, has, has you know, that kind of integration there where it is extremely, as we discussed earlier, dependent on Apple building features and, and integrating and adding support. But you know, I would love to see companies like Arlo and Eufy and these other manufacturers that are not part of the platform makers themselves be able to have that same kind of cross-platform support. So it doesn't matter if, you know, I've got an Echo Show in one room and I've got a Nest Hub in my bedroom or, you know, I'm using an iPhone and my spouse is using an Android phone or whatever. We all get a great first quality uh, experience. And, and I would love to see that. I just... I think the there's real there's real incentives against Ring building great Google Assistant support, and they talked about years they would add HomeKit support. And it's a running joke. Every single time I write an article about a Ring doorbell, someone in the comments section goes Command F HomeKit, and then gets like bummed because of course it doesn't support HomeKit. They they haven't added that, and so you know there's there's incentives for them, business incentives, not to support the others, uh, and it's unfortunate because you know. We as a consumer have less choice. And like I said earlier, your doorbell might dictate what smartphone you buy in two years, which is just a, a mind-boggling thing for me to wrap my head around. Right, right. Well, that, that's nuts. Uh, by the way, Adam Yarka from over at That's Not Funny totally April fooled me on the ring thing with HomeKit, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured it out in about in about two minutes, but it was a tweet or two too late, unfortunately. So... So, I mean, I get the whole thing that Ring may not be incentivized to expand too much beyond the Amazon ecosystem. There are many business reasons for that. There are obviously also some technical reasons for that. And certainly there are expenses involved in supporting all these different platforms. And if you're not going to be able to support them well, then do you really want to do that? But I wonder, like, you know, as Adam and I, both from the consumer and business perspective, are typically recommending to people, look for products that work with everything. Mm -hmm. Play analyst for a minute. Do you get the feeling with this particular segment in the smart home space that the different ecosystems are intentionally making that more difficult? Or is it that they're so focused on making their own products the best that, you know, they'll get to making this stuff available for third parties someday? You know, I don't want to say anybody's particularly malicious in anything that they're doing. But like, it's, it's, I, I, I get the, the reason why they are like intent on building out support for their own ecosystems. Mm-hmm. 
the skeptic in me thinks, no, we're never going to see a Nest Hello video camera feed show up on an Echo show when someone presses the doorbell. Like, that's just not a thing that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, a few years ago, when video doorbells first hit the market and first came onto the scene, and we started to see various models come out from various companies, and there's... Uh, it, it was much less of an ecosystem tie-in at that point. What we've seen is as the ecosystems have gotten more complex and added new things like smart displays and more smart speakers and more capabilities through the voice assistant, that's really where we've seen that bifurcation of the platforms happening. And where if you want to get the most out of your video doorbell, you have to buy into one ecosystem and use it on that ecosystem and and really to get the most out of it. You're going to get the most features out of it. You're going to get the best experience out of it. A few years ago, that wasn't the case because all it was was basically, you know, someone rang the doorbell and you could view the feed on your phone. That like was the extent of what the video doorbell did. Yeah. Now they've got motion sensors in them. Now they've got people detection. Now they've got built-in assistance where they're talking back to them automatically. All of those things are greater complexity level that has kind of made them go into their lanes much more than it used to be uh, in the past. And and I fully agree with you. Whenever somebody asks for you know advice on a smart home product to buy, buy one that works with as many things as possible because you never know when you're going to change your mind and you never know uh, when you're going to make an adjustment and you don't want one purchase to dictate later purchases. I think I've had to like kind of reevaluate that perception a little bit because doorbells are one example, but there's other ones out there that we're just not going to see great platform support on. Nest thermostats are probably not going to have great platform support without hacks. The smart displays are always going to be kind of working within their ecosystems and things like that. So maybe the the mindset that I kind of uh, suggest now is if you haven't bought anything yet, figure out which platform has what you want and then start to build out from there and based on what platform you have. And then you can start to make decisions and things like that. And the, and the doorbells is like one component of that platform decision. I guess the question I would ask though, is does the platform ecosystem really matter for a doorbell? Like is the Echo Show or, you know, Google Smart Display, like that video feed showing up worth that? Or is there anything else of value that the ecosystem really brings here? Is this one of the rare examples where it can kind of be just a standalone device? Yeah, I guess uh, that's that's a great point, and it really depends on your needs and your expectations out of it, and where you want your smart home to go, and what you want to do in your smart home. You mentioned the smart displays integration is one that's kind of like a bonus feature that like you don't ever have to do it, and and you don't ever have to find value in that if you don't want to. Other ones are there's a lot of sensors on these doorbells. There's motion sensors. There's light sensors. There's uh, cameras. Obviously, there's people detection features and things like that. Those can all be used in automations and they can be used to control other devices and they can be used to, you know, build out your smart home in different ways because it is basically a box with four or five different sensors in there. And if you can access those and use that to control locks or lights or what have you, that really is what helps make you build out that smart home into an actual smart, useful, helpful home. Yeah. And in fairness to ring as an example, you know, while we're saying, yeah, this, the home kit thing is probably never going to happen and it's never going to pop up on your Google home nest hub device max thing <laughs> that it, they, they are doing things like integrating now more directly with Lutron and interacting with lock brands and things like that. So, you know, they, they it are interacts with my garage door now. There you go. 
Although I don't know if launching you over to Mike Hughes' <laughs> app really counts as interacting. It tells me if the door is open or not, and then I have to hit, uh, okay. hit the, the thing. I can't. It's 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 a weird integration. I can't, and I think this is Mike Hughes' fault because I'm happy to blame everything on Mike Hughes. Like, <laughs> um, but but the the Ring app will tell me if the garage door is open or closed, and if I tap that, it then launches the Mike Hughes app from where I can control to open the door or close the door, wow, which is kind of a funny experience. But yeah, you know, I think Matt, Adam mentioned this earlier. Ring has really done a lot to build out its app into its own platform. It's obviously got the security system now. It's got the smart lighting and things like that. Uh, and there are a lot of things that you can do within that. But there's no automations in there. If you want automations, you need to work with Amazon's app uh, and, and, and get those uh, devices talking to each other. So it's kind of like sort of a platform, sort of a thing, but still needs help from... Amazon's other apps. What good automations have you seen done? Or like what, I guess, from a doorbell standpoint, what do you think the good potential was? I think I think it's pretty simple. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's more clever people than I am that have come up with more complex automations. But the obvious one to me is there's a motion sensor on this. It detects a person. It turns the porch light on. Like, it, it keeps that on as long as it detects a person there and maybe turns it off a minute after they leave. That's a very straightforward and simple automation. Maybe if it's smart enough to know who that person is, it could unlock the door for them. You know, the the if it sees my kid walking up to the doorbell and pushing the doorbell or, or ring the doorbell, it unlocks the smart lock. Those are very straightforward. They use one sensor with one accessory. You could probably pair them uh, or pair an automation together that controls multiple accessories at the same time to kind of do more complex things. But if you want to access those sensors, you need to be able to do it in the platform that they're supporting. So like if you are building around Amazon's platform and you put in a Nest Hello doorbell, it is strictly just the doorbell that works through the Nest app on your phone. And you can't access the sensors on that through Amazon's app. You can't access the sensors on the Logitech Circle View doorbell through Amazon's app or through Google's app. It's only through HomeKit. And even there, because as we all know, HomeKit hates automations, you have to go through a third-party HomeKit app to really <laughs> access the sensors. Uh, and, and then you can access the light sensors and the motion sensors, and you could do things like when sunset happens and the light levels dim outside, my porch light comes on. When the sun comes up and the light level returns outside, my porch light goes off. Like, those kinds of automations. And it's like, yes, you could do that with a separate motion sensor and a separate light sensor that you install somewhere outside of your home, but you're putting the doorbell there and it has those sensors. Why not just use them? It's just like, it's like makes sense to make use of them. Yeah. I love actually the things that you can do with the doorbell. Now I, I seem to be not alone, but in the minority team because I'm on team porch light always on all night. And I really <laughs> don't understand why more people aren't, but I, I do like the idea of, for example, maybe dimming it a little bit at night. And then if somebody walks up to door and this is actually how we have ours set up, then as someone's walking up to the door, the lights brighten at the door. Mm -hmm. And if they ring the doorbell, let's say if they were to ring the doorbell late at night, then I don't have anything announced inside. We actually, you know, it's basically set to ignore the doorbell late at night. Anybody that needs to know how to get a hold of us late at night knows how to get a hold of us late at night. It's a do not disturb for your doorbell. And if it's serious, they'll bang on the door, right? Um, <laughs> or if somebody rings the doorbell and, you know, they're 
certain conditions like someone's home or someone's not home. Mm-hmm. You could react differently. You could have fake dogs bark if nobody's home or something like that. I mean, I, there, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do. And I've tried to be kind of creative in how we handle it. I actually handle it different seasonally too. Um, and a lot of that's just because of the way our lights are around our front door. We have some overhead cans right at the front door, which are great when it's cold. Not so great to turn lights on right near your door when uh, it's warm out, because then the bugs that are mm-hmm. going to you know convene there might actually <laughs> easily get into the house. So I think there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you could do it seasonally too, like. Uh, it's Halloween and, and kids are ringing the doorbell and, you know, mm-hmm. your, your, your Halloween decoration lights react in a different way or maybe music's played or something like that. Uh, other things you can do in the house, you could, if you've got a multicolor light bulb in your home office and you're working with headphones on and someone rings the doorbell and now that door, that light bulb turns red, you need a platform to be able to make that happen and you need access to the doorbell's functionality to trigger those kinds of automations. Yep. Um, so that's, you know, kind of where this path takes you and, and, and why if you want to get more out of your smart home as a cohesive whole unit, it really makes a difference what platform that you choose and, and that you, you know, stick with products that support that platform. Yeah. That makes sense. Adam, you are a product manufacturer. And I would be curious, like, if you could design the perfect doorbell, the perfect smart doorbell, what would you want out of the perfect smart doorbell? Like, do you think that the products that are out there are hitting all the notes? Or is there a combination of of features and capabilities that has yet to be like put all together or don't you want to talk about it because you'd give away the idea because <laughs> we're going to do it. <laughs> I don't think it would be technically possible. And I think that's, you know, I was, I sort of alluded to that about HomeKit as I think there's some technical limitations that's preventing everybody else from doing HomeKit and probably why um, ring never did. They ran into some, some hoops there and um, it just wasn't worth you know, going there. And and that's why, you know, these ones that do support HomeKit seem to not have support for anything else either. So in a fantasy world, something that supported all the platforms would be the first one. I really like what the Pro, the new Ring Pro 2, from a perspective standpoint, I think being able to see um, the ground is very valuable and focus some things around packages. And then I'd mash that up with the intelligence of the Nest Hello um, that we said, you know, nobody seems to be doing. Uh, what I know about the Nest Hello, I think the reason for that is in order to do that, they're actually using some higher end hardware on the doorbell that's doing that machine learning. So um, that's what's separating them from everybody else is that machine learning happens on device, not in the cloud. Similar to why the HomeKit stuff can do it is because it happens on one of your iOS devices that it's doing that face detection stuff. So you're actually offloading that from the device. So having to do that on device then drives up the price of the device because you have to, you know, put in some bulkier hardware um, and that drives up your costs. So, you know, I think if ultimately, eventually, um, folks are going to figure out how to do some of that kind of stuff in the cloud. Right now, I would say it's possible in the cloud. It's probably just cost prohibitive to do so that you're analyzing every frame of video looking for a box. 
Yeah. So I like all those things, but that device today would probably be a $500 doorbell. Mm. So it, it just wouldn't be realistic. And that's what if it's the last doorbell you ever need to buy? And <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I do think like those are to me, those are the best things about each of those and, and what I would try to put in a mashup. I think I would add to that Dan's point on like make it look better on the house. Right? Like I don't I don't feel like anyone's gotten that a hundred percent yet. We need the level lock equivalent of the smart doorbell. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Make that make the tech invisible and uh you know, but highly functional and, and, and I think that would be a really great forward progress for this category. I'm not saying I want it to look like one of those cheap little plastic buttons, but you know, it shouldn't look like it came off of a starship either something in between please (laughs) uh one thing uh that i I think would be really great to have uh we see this with some doorbells um but not many is is local storage options all of the ones that we've talked about are reliant on the cloud and cloud storage and cloud subscriptions and so uh you have to be paying a monthly fee to really get the most out of this doorbell Sometimes that monthly fee brings a lot of other value to you. If you're a Ring customer and you've got a Ring alarm and you pay the service fee for the Ring alarm, your doorbell's included, and that's really nice and bundled together. Google's has different options with its uh, subscriptions, and, and obviously Apple, you know, gives you actual cloud storage when you're you're paying for iCloud storage. But a lot of people don't want to pay a monthly fee for something that they pay two hundred fifty dollars for at a pocket, and so you know if there's ways to record it locally, either to a hard drive in the house or a memory card on the on the doorbell itself, uh, we see that with I think Ufi supports that. It would be great to see these players do that as well. I can understand the business implications why they wouldn't. <laughs> uh, recurring revenue is is a is a very tasty treat, but as a consumer type of uh, perspective, uh, I think that would be something that I would want uh, in my perfect ideal doorbell. Is is at least the option for local storage. And there are existing standards and protocols that allow for third party monitoring of feeds off of a doorbell too, which could facilitate something like that. I think you mentioned in. You review that the circle camera doesn't support that at all, but do ring devices support that yet? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I could be wrong. I, I, I'm not super versed in the protocols. Um, and, and I, I'm, I, I have a colleague who, who is, and he's always teasing me like, so does that new doorbell you're testing support? WebViz or whatever it's called. RB73 or whatever, you know. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you can move on. Uh, Because they are are locked to their platforms, and they work best with their platforms and things like that. There are things you can do if you run Home Assistant or if you run... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Homebridge or these more little bit more technical platform options um, to extend their capabilities. I personally run Homebridge so that I can get the Ring cameras into, into HomeKit. I still have to pay a Ring service fee for the cloud storage for that. But that just allows me to view through the HomeKit app um, and access their sensors a little bit. But off the top of my head, I, I don't think they really support those open standards that plug in nicely with other platforms or more uh, advanced platforms, unfortunately. All right. Well, I mean, I think most of that is for the pro space anyway. And what you see is Homebridge and those other platforms kind of taking advantage of that in a way that makes it available to consumers who otherwise largely wouldn't be messing with that stuff anyway, for the most part. Yeah. So it's, it's deep into tinker mode at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Adam, you had an interesting question that you were posing 
as you were putting together your thoughts on this. Are there problems at the front door that still need to be solved? I mean, to me, the first thing that came to mind is make that assistant that's answering my ring doorbell smart enough to say, no, not there. Put the package over there. But uh, <laughs> even without the doorbell being ring, you right. know, just monitor the camera feed and yell at them. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, can we think of other kind of like front door situations or front door problems that could potentially be solved with a doorbell or a, you know, an adjunct device of some sorts? Or do you think this space is pretty well covered at this point? I would say that I think the technology in the doorbells has a lot of potential to do more than it is doing now. There's more to do with face detection. There's more to do with people detection. There's more to do with package detection. There's more to do with the voice assistants that you mentioned, you know, integrating there. And and like the, the hardware is kind of there to do it. The, the sensors are there. The, the cameras are there. It's really the services need to be built around it and, and the, the capabilities need to be built into it. And I, I would like to see maybe some more things there. I would love to see package detection to be a, just a universal thing that all of them have. It's, it kind of blows my mind that Ring doesn't have package detection, especially now. Like, come on. Of all things you're going to build in 2020, build package detection. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. I, I don't know. I, it's, it's tough to say, like, what more could a doorbell do that it isn't doing right now? Or is, is what could it be capable of that it's not capable of right now? Is it's tough to say. Richard, you made the joke earlier of, you know, do you have a picture of your UPS guy? But, you know, the thought that I had is like, there is something that's similar about every UPS delivery driver or every FedEx delivery driver, which is their uniform. So you could definitely use something like that or their vehicle or, you know, things like that to be smarter. The other one that I think is interesting, I don't, depending on your privacy tolerances, I use the Shopify shop app that sucks all the package data in from my Gmail because I apparently don't care about that. But I think there'd be an interesting tie in to something like that or some way to like monitor incoming deliveries. Also, you could integrate with, you know, UPS or FedEx who have some features where you can monitor what's coming to your house. I think something like that could be really interesting where you know what's coming, you can anticipate it and alert based on it. If you, if you knew it was UPS, you knew what package was coming today, you could probably tell them uh, and make a more intelligent announcement of, hey, you know, your new game console is here. Better not leave that on the porch. <laughs> Workday's over. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, one of the things that I tested last year, I think it was last year, maybe it was the year before, what is time, is uh, Yale slash August came out with these delivery boxes, which were integrated with their lock platform. <laughs> and uh, you put it on your porch. It says deliveries. It's got a smart lock on there and things like that. Yep. The, the the problem that device has is it does not support like the partnerships needed to. So the FedEx can just walk up to it, put the package in. Uh, UPS does as well. You know, could do it as well. It, it just didn't do it. So the, the thing just didn't work. But the idea of it is clever. And, and the idea is good. And, and maybe there's a, a, a technology integration between the doorbells, camera, and the delivery boxes lock that could, you know, function if it's able to detect a specific delivery person and just automatically unlock and put the thing in there or whatever. Um, that could be an interesting idea. But it, it, it's going to hinge entirely not on the technology, but on 
making deals with UPS and making deals with FedEx and making deals with DHL and Amazon and whoever might else be walking up to you. And those delivery drivers give caring enough to actually do what they're supposed to do. Because what I've seen of people <laughs> who have or try some of those types of things, those devices then become a great place to set packages on top of or next to. Yes. Yes. If, uh, if you look up my review of the Yale delivery box, uh, I have a picture of just a whole bunch of packages surrounding it. <laughs> They were just, I just came home and there was like four or five packages surrounding it, uh, not in it. So that's funny. I believe we talked about that when you were on Home On. It, it, it's inevitable. I have a big black mat that I bought from Amazon on my front step that says place packages here. And the package is always three feet away from it, not here. Instead, it's in front of the door or on the seat or somewhere else that it really shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, you mentioned something earlier, Dan, the idea that it could recognize you and potentially unlock the door for you. Our listening audience couldn't hear my grimace when you said that, but <laughs> I think with technologies that we know exist, similar to Apple's uh, LiDAR technology that they have on their phones to unlock your phone, we could get to a point where that is pretty damn safe and could be a, a viable way of accessing a home or providing access to someone with limited during limited times to your home. I think that's a very interesting use case. That that would be cool. Yeah, if it's if it's like lidar like you mentioned like a facial recognition, maybe one that's closer to attainable with current technology is putting a fingerprint sensor in there and and having the fingerprint sensor scan your thumb and and it opens the door. You know, the question of course then is like, well, do you put that on the door lock or do you put it on the doorbell? And 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 you know, where does that interaction happen and what would make most sense there? Um there's some door locks on the market. Um uh, there's one that begins with a U. I can't remember the full name of it, but it's got a thumb sensor right in the middle of it it's really <laughs> ugly <laughs> so, yes, it is. so you know it's 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 very much shouting that it's technology at you but what if that was integrated into the button that you have to press on the doorbell uh, it would hide that technology and it would make it a little bit more approachable and, and less obvious and, and then it traps uh, trips your smart lock and it turns off your home alarm and it sets your thermostat back to your home now like all these kinds of things that you can then trigger uh, based off of that trigger the outcry about the privacy violation you're imposing on anyone who rings your doorbell. I was going to say it better be damn good and very secure because it would take a high confidence in that technology for me to uh, allow door entry. I I agree. No, I I agree. That's why that that was the source of my grimace. But I'd love to see that to get to that point. And I, I do think it's funny with computers, the kind of the gold standard is either something you know or something you have or something you know and something you are. But we're okay to just use one factor to allow access to our homes, right? So <laughs> I don't know. I don't oh, well, know you you don't have three different locks on your door with different keys that you – uh, through? N- no, I don't. I moved out of the city. When I lived in the city, then yes, I did have multiple locks with multiple keys. Not anymore. Bear detection. How about that? Can we have bear detection? That might be yeah, a good thing I, I for like a cabin. I my backyard cameras. That'd be great. You laugh. When I was on vacation, one of the delightful ring notifications I got was a raccoon walking across our front porch. So, And I showed that to the kids. So 
I'd take animal detection. That's awesome. All right. Well, why don't we wrap this discussion up with, you know, of all the products that are out there, not necessarily just those that we spoke about today, but if you were to buy a new doorbell, forget what you have. If you were to buy a new one today, what product would you buy? Let's start with you, Dan. I'm going to go with the Ring Pro 2. I think that the aspect ratio and the field of view is the most significant thing to differentiate the experience for my needs. It really allows me to see my porch in ways that other doorbells don't. And uh, that was always kind of like a frustration with me when I was testing other doorbells. The performance is really fast as well. I like that I can pull up the feed really quickly. I like that it. I happen to have... Uh, Echo Show devices, I've got one right next to me right here. So if someone rings my doorbell, I can see right away uh, that someone's there and the package is is uh, delivered. So, so it works very nicely for my needs and the performance is, is, is really nice. So I think that's what I would go with. We can't leave, though, without first talking about Dan's wire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so bad, isn't it? <laughs> I, 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 was, I was telling Adam... OCD is terrible because I can't not see the wire coming from your doorbell. It's so it's bad. Just, so I can't. You know, not here's see the thing. It. My home was built in I don't know 1962. Totally or understand. It's brick. It's what been are you remodeled do? X number of times by not me, <laughs> by, <laughs> by people who owned it before me. For whatever reason, there's no doorbell wiring. There's no chime inside the house. There's nothing. So in order to use any of these advanced doorbells or the higher end doorbells, which I mentioned earlier, they're all wired. They don't run on battery. I have to run power to them. And the only way for me to run power is to snake a cable through my doorway up in the door frame and then over to the brick where the doorbell is mounted. You know, I'm saying this without doing some significant modifications to drill and run proper wiring. Um, And the other thing about this is my unique situation. I'm constantly testing different ones. I need to be a little bit more modular than the average person. But yes, I hate it too. I hate it. My wife hates it. I've got like little clips that keep it like, you know, tucked away so we don't trip over it. But it still looks terrible. So I'm sorry. (laughs) It's just the way it is. It sucks. I am impressed you're getting away with it. That's uh, I'll, I'll say that. I know I would not get away with that, but yeah, you know. Well, I mean, for a long time when we when you know I first moved into this house, I I used a battery operated one for that specific reason, right, and, right. and I think that is like nice that the battery operated ones uh, exist and and are options because there's scenarios where you just you know can't easily run wire. Maybe you're renting the place and you can't install something that well or that easily or you're just not capable of it like me to, to run proper wiring the battery op- operated ones solve those problems for you the downside is the battery operated ones are slower they don't respond as quickly they don't have as many features they don't have the latest technology in them in terms of like package detection and all that fun stuff and you have to change the battery like every you know four to six weeks or whatever it is until it runs out we look forward to your review of the four because I'm curious to see if they've addressed some of those things. Yeah. Because each version gets a little bit better, the battery-operated version. Yeah, it gets, like, slightly better. Like, I, I tried the two, and I tested the three for a while, and it's, like, slightly better in terms of, like, the speed and responsiveness. But it is, like, the biggest thing uh, that separates the wired ones versus the battery-operated ones. Adam, how about you? I think I'm going to go with Dan on the uh, the Pro 2. Like I said, I have the Pro 1, but even this conversation has me, you know, eye in it. I don't know. I, I really wish that they had the package detection that 
that Nest has. If it had that, it would be an Insta buy for me. But I, I'm pretty committed to the Ring ecosystem overall. That's probably where I would go. All right, we have three rings all the way around, <laughs> and apparently none of us have any problems with throwing another two hundred and fifty dollars at another smart doorbell. That should say something. Uh, it's, I, this, I think this, something's this, wrong with this all is of the us. Hobby, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I should I should probably take that two hundred fifty dollars and 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 put it towards hiring someone to wire it properly. I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in your defense, like I'm also not super handy, and like that, I don't think I would have gone as far as you did. You know, that's involving drilling through brick, and you know, yeah. So I don't yeah, blame you. Yeah, I mean, like that's that's the other side. The other problem with my doorway is there's no real wood framing for me to easily poke through. Right. Um, it is it is basically all brick. Uh, so. What are you going to yeah. do? For me, yeah. actually, the pro is like my only option for the opposite reason. I do have a little bit of wood framing, but it's so narrow that any of the other bigger options I don't think would fit on my door. So it's like the only thing I could do. And that is one of the nice things about the form factor. I mean, I, of anything that's out there right now, I think that for the flexibility it offers in terms of those change kits, again, let's assume that the Pro 2 uses the same change kits as the Pro. And if it doesn't, I expect they'll probably come out with versions that support that too, like they have with their other versions of their other doorbells. Then it's very flexible in terms of the decor. It's still not perfect because you have the big black area and it still looks plasticky, but it looks better than things that are just all plastic. So this has been a good discussion. I don't think we've spent an entire show talking about doorbells before. So I'm glad that we got to do that. And with you just reviewing these two, that was a big help. So thanks for joining us. I'm just glad that nobody rang my doorbell uh, <laughs> and, and during their show to make all of the devices in my office, like wake up with a cacophony of noise. It would have been very appropriate. We, we would have left it in the I don't show. Think, yeah, I would not have edited that out by any means. That would have been really quite perfect. Now, normally we would end the show with a question, but we don't have a question this time, Adam. How can people send us questions? Uh, you can go on Twitter and tweet with the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow and send us some questions, people. We haven't had one for a little bit here, so let's let's get some more questions. Dan? Thank you again very much. Great talking with you again. How can people read your reviews, find out more what you're doing over at The Verge? Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. TheVerge.com slash reviews. It's where all of our reviews are, whether it's for smart home products or laptops or phones or what have you. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, DC Seifert, uh, which is S-E-I-F-E-R-T. Um, and I implore you to not follow me. Um, but... <laughs> If you want to, that's where you can find me. <laughs> what are you talking about? I love following you. You're snarky like I am. I love that. <laughs> All right. Adam, how can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Adam Justice, and you can follow everything my company's doing at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? I'm on Twitter at Richard Gunther, and you can find out stuff that I'm doing with my other shows and any writing that I'm doing when I have time, which isn't recently, over at the Digital Media Zone. 
Com. And the Smart Home Show is part of Technology.fm, which is a collection of great podcasts that includes the newly retooled Home Tech Show. If you haven't checked that out, check it out. Seth's doing some really cool live video stuff on YouTube. Really enjoying that. The Food Tech Show, which gets better and better. They've been adding roundtables out on Clubhouse. So that keeps getting really, really interesting. And my show, Home On, which, well, I haven't published a lot of those recently because I'm trying to buy a home right now and I just don't have time for anything else. But it'll be back and you can find our show at smarthome.fm where we have show notes and details. Feedback at smarthome.fm is where you can send us your feedback or questions or anything else. And of course, you can find the show in all of the usual places. If you like it, let someone know or leave us a rating or review. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in.